This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Hosted by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law, and I'm Liz Gill. Happy Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Professor Gershon. <laughs> well, Liz, you know, it's a new fiscal year for a lot of organizations. Uh, a lot of companies start their fiscal year on July 1st, and we also have some new laws to talk about today. Uh, that That's right. We, for folks who want to go back and look, during the legislative session, we were happy to have Desiree Frazier, reporter from MPB, talk about some of the laws that were they were being thinking about passing. But now we've gotten some that have taken effect. So uh, let's let's go ahead and jump in to talk about uh, Senate Bill twenty six twenty one that created a task force to study domestic laws. Uh, especially surrounding divorce. Why is that important? What's that one about? Well, there, you know, there's been a lot of talk about reforming our domestic relation laws, especially as related to uh, alimony, child support, and uh, divorce in general. Uh, we've had uh, my great colleague Debbie Bell on to talk about you know, uh, fault-based requirements in Mississippi and the, and the fault-based grounds. And many states don't require any proof of fault. Uh, if one party wants a divorce, then they can proceed, and it's really a matter of dividing property and deciding you know, child support, child, you know, child uh, visitation, that kind of thing. Uh, you don't focus on so much on fault, where in Mississippi, if one party doesn't want the divorce, the other party has to prove fault. So I imagine that will be part of what this task force is going to look at. Uh, the other thing that's important about that is that um, there was a major change in the federal income tax law. Tax involves is involved in everything that took away a deduction uh, for a person who pays alimony, and so uh, and that was um, under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That deduction had been around for a long time, and so in doing the economics of figuring out how much you know alimony is going to cost the payer. And then looking at the fact that it, alimony would be included in the income of the recipient previously, that affected the economics decisions that courts made about alimony. And that change, I, don't, I think, though, because the tax deduction doesn't exist, I think the legislature wants to look at then the calculation of alimony and child support in, in light of that change. And so those are all really important. And I think, you know, the reason why we're, we're talking about this one first is it's probably, unfortunately, the one that affects uh, the most people in, in Mississippi. And for folks who want to go back and listen, we've had uh, quite a number of, <laughs> we've had quite a number of divorce shows on May 11th, 2021. We had a financial analyst who talked to us about divorce and money. 
but we've also had one on March 17th, 2020. We talked about divorce. March 10th, 20, we talked about divorce and taxes. And on December 4th of 2018, we also talked about divorce. Those are all in legal term podcasts that you can find so many different ways. You can find on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. You can find it on the MPB Public Media app, and you can find it on our YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube and subscribe to MPB Think Radio, then click on the notifications. You'll be able to find out when a new episodes are loaded up. We're talking this morning about the new laws that affect Mississippi. They started Thursday, July 1st, is the is the, the time frame when a lot of our laws that were passed this past winter will take effect in Mississippi. We'd love for you to send us an email with your questions, legal terms at mpbonline.org. So now we've got a, a, a number of other bills. And this next bill was interesting to me, Senate Bill 2536. I guess this was a law in search of a problem, and it is my understanding this one didn't even, wasn't even suggested by Mississippians. This was a nationwide push. Tell us about the uh, athlete uh, transsexual non-participation law. It's, it's a great question, Liz. You know, this is one that, um, yeah, was pushed by an outside uh, it, interest uh, that has uh, sent same proposed legislation to states like Tennessee and, and throughout the Southeast. And it was really, uh, it, we've never in Mississippi actually had this issue uh, where a uh, transgendered athlete uh, would play on, this is primarily there to uh, a uh, someone who uh, transitions to being female playing on a sports team um, we've never had that uh, and and yet this this law was passed um, and to, uh, one issue about that is it really just says the law mandates that people identified as male at birth cannot participate in female sports activities and um, you know part of the issue there is since we we never had this actually come up there are people who are born actually intersexed, where they have uh, genitalia of both uh, both genders, both sexes. And so I'm not sure how this law would affect uh, those people. So now, you know, you create this problem, you, you, you find the solution to a problem we don't have. And then uh, if, the, if the legislation is not tight, you create potentially other problems down the road. I think this was more of a, a political grandstand, honestly. I don't think it really solves a problem. And for me, legislation should be really let's address issues that help people. The one, the, the, the previous one, where the, you know there's there's a task force to study a, a real problem in Mississippi, which is our domestic relations laws. I don't I don't know how long that task force will take to, to, to deal with some of those problems, but at least that's that's an important step forward for real problems. Um, you know, the legislature. Uh, I hope we'll focus on things that actually uh, affect Mississippians and have affected Mississippians and not, not be taking pressure from uh, outside groups like this. You know, that's just, just my opinion. And, and you know, actually, um, there are reasons to say that someone who, you know, that, that we, don't, we don't want uh, boys playing on girls' teams. I can understand there is an argument for that, for sure. I think that's something, though, that could be a situation 
uh, by situation addressed by the, the school district, the, the team, uh, the coach uh, as well, the other teams that play against that team. But we, I'm not sure we really needed them to have legislation. I think this was more a way uh, for someone to gain some uh, political capital, quite frankly, uh, for a problem that does not exist. We'll go on to some more that uh, laws that take effect in this new year, beginning July 1st. The next was Senate Bill 2795 was talking about criminal justice reform. Tell us a little bit about uh, parole eligibility was the topic. Well, that's true. That's this is where, you know, now I, I, I think this is important uh, work that the legislature did. I think there's more to be done on criminal justice reform. I know, you know, a lot of our uh, clinical work and, and our MacArthur Justice Clinic, for example, have worked to uh, try to move uh, the state more into a, a, a place of reform of our criminal justice system. And this is a good step. Um, this is a a bill that centers on uh, the reform for parole eligibility and expands parole eligibility and would allow as many as as 3,000 of the states, roughly 17,000 people are now in prison, uh, might become eligible for parole in the next three to five years. Um, People convicted of uh, violations deemed violent crimes committed without a weapon uh, simple robbery, burglary, would be eligible for parole after serving 20 years or 50 percent of their sentence, whichever is less. And so, um, you know, that reduced the amount of time then effect- effectively uh, for that parole. They currently have to serve 50 percent of their time. So somebody who had a, a 50-year sentence would have to serve at least 25 years under the previous rule. Now they, Now that 20 becomes uh, the, the, the floor that they have to serve. And so that will cut down some of the time that people have to wait before they can be eligible for parole. Um, and people convicted of possession of drugs or selling drugs and those convicted of other nonviolent crimes would be eligible after serving 10 years or 25% of their time, whichever is less. So the idea is to, to allow people who mainly are involved in nonviolent or drug crimes to have a greater opportunity to get out uh, on parole, you know, and there, and there are of course advocates and, and I would be one of them. This is my opinion, not the opinions of MPB that we really should be not incarcerating people for possession of drugs um, or, you know, uh, because, you know, that should be treated more as an illness and we should be getting uh, not as a, a criminal offense. And I think, you know, there, there are a lot of organizations that would support that opinion, but this is at least a step in the right direction. Um, to uh, to allow, especially those nonviolent offenders, uh, parole at an earlier time. And one thing that I saw in my review of uh, listings about these new laws is that this does not give people parole. This is not paroling incarcerated individuals. It's just making some individuals become eligible so they still have to go before a parole board they are not being released into mississippi exactly and so, so someone who who uh, possessed drugs for example uh you know, possessed marijuana which is still considered you know an illegal drug in mississippi uh could have a have, had reason you know had a, a criminal uh conviction where they had to uh 
serve, you know, uh, 25 years. I mean, and, and so this would allow them to be eligible parole for parole at 10 years um, and uh, or 25 percent of their uh, time, uh, whichever is less. You can always send us your emails to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Happy New Year, sort of, sort of. We're discussing all of the new laws that are taking effect in Mississippi in 2021. Thursday happened last Thursday. We've discussed divorce so far and criminal justice reform. We've got more coming up next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. the lady auto mechanic host of autocorrect if you're enjoying this podcast try my podcast autocorrect we help steer you in the right direction with your car problems find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org this is in legal terms not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live if you've missed any of our program you can listen to the whole show. The website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. We have a call on the line. We're going to go to Columbus and speak with Nathan. Nathan, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Well, thank you for having me. Um, my thing with this, I had a char- a drug charge back in 2018, and it went before the grand jury where I was a passenger in a vehicle, and the people that had the drugs didn't claim it. So we all got charged for the same thing. COVID hit, so three years, fast forward three years, I, I called my attorney and told him that I needed, I needed to be called because I was working out of town. But when I come back in town, I get picked up on a warrant because I missed my 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 jury, my, my day in court. So what happened was they, they locked me up in county, and I was I was beaten twice while I was in there. And on the, after the, the second trip to the emergency room, they threw me before the judge. Well, the attorney had showed me a piece of paper where he had a return to sender where I was notified of the court date, but I didn't get it because I was no longer at that address, um, doing, being that we lost touch during the COVID. And then they... When I told him I wanted a jury trial because he was wanting to give me a plea bargain, he closed his, envelope, his manila envelope and said, well, you can go back to jail. Well, I wasn't going to do that. So I was made to take a plea bargain. I feel like I was made to take a plea bargain. And when they give you the plea bargain, they give you all the information. They tell you what the judge is going to ask you and, and, and how you're supposed to respond. So I was pretty much coached the whole process and had to perjure myself on the stand in front of the judge, uh, the prosecutor, and the um my attorney, a court-appointed attorney, and I was just really wanting to know, is there anything that I could do about that? Because when I did that, they, 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 I have no right to appeal. So 
what is there anything that I can do about that? Well, and you know, Nathan, I'm sorry you're going through that. Um, you know, that's uh, COVID affected uh, a lot of the criminal justice system, um, and um, I, you know, I think that. I'm not the person to ask that question specifically to answer your question. Uh, I can't give you legal advice. I would go to, um, there are uh, people who work with uh, the criminal justice system. Our clinics, our, our MacArthur Justice Clinic is one of those who uh, is dealing with criminal justice reform and they may be able to help you know which path you should go down. Um, and Liz, if we could post the information about the MacArthur Justice Clinic on uh, on the website for the show afterwards, and that way Nathan would have that information. I don't have it right in front of me, but if you go to the University of Mississippi School of Law website and look for MacArthur Justice, uh, uh, Professor Cliff Johnson is the uh, director of that program, and they do a lot of good work with uh, with people who are kind of um, caught up in the criminal justice system. Yeah, I, I mean, I went as far as called the ACLU and, and the Department of Justice, but I've never received a phone call from them. But like everything else, it's all backed up. I mean, it may eventually happen, um, but I just felt I was giving a real raw deal, and I'm, I'm just trying to seek any information that I can. That's great. I appreciate it, and thank you so much. Thank well, you, Nathan. Right. Wish- and, yeah, we've had uh, low-cost and free legal care information before. And we will make sure we uh, put that up. And also, Nathan, if you hang on, maybe we'll try to give out some phone numbers a little bit later in the show. All right, Professor Gershon, let's move on to uh, another one. Now, this is a very interesting House Bill 196, the Dignity for Incarcerated Women Act. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, and I'll start by saying, you know, some of these are Senate bills and some of these are House bills. They're just really where they originated. Um, and so they're, they're laws. They are now laws. It's just, you know, the, the starting point. And we use those uh, as um, as really kind of shortcut ways of knowing what, what bill we're talking about. But the Dignity for Incarcerated, Incarcerated Women Act is another uh, criminal justice reform. Um, and it provides women in prison with minor children more opportunities to see the children. Uh, you know, previously that was a much harder, harder thing for those women, and and you know, and um, and additional rights for pregnant women. Some women who are pregnant are incarcerated, um, and so you know, allowing that newborn baby to allow, you know, to stay with the mother for seventy two hours uh, is something that previously did not did not happen, um, unless there are medical concerns or uh, you know there are other reasons why that might not happen. But at least the bill provides for that. Uh, 72-hour important bonding period for that woman who's incarcerated um, while she's pregnant. Uh, The new law also provides additional rights for women, such as access to feminine hygiene uh, products in jail uh, or while they're incarcerated, which, uh, you know, is an important um, part of, you know, again, the name of the, the act is the Dignity for Incarcerated Women Act. Um, and it's a good step forward in, uh, in our criminal justice system. And again, maybe it'll be a good step that leads to other steps as well. Not that this is a Mississippi law, but it was also in the news. I was glad to see that the Tokyo Olympics changed some of their restrictions that they're going to allow nursing mothers to bring their children, their child that they're nursing, into the country uh, the athletes were supposed to not allow any f- family to attend, and there were some lactating athletes, and they've changed that rule for Olympians. So 
the Olympics are always going to be a fun thing to watch, especially watch on television since traveling to Tokyo is not advised right now. Are you a, yeah. a, an Olympic fan? I know you're an ice hockey fan. What about Summer Olympics? I am. A, I am a fan of the Summer Olympics. I, I tell you, you know, I, because I run, I, you know, I follow you know, running sports and you know, obviously the, the other issue that's kind of similar to some of the things we talked about was that, you know, there was a, a runner who uh, tested positive for THC uh, because she had marijuana. And even though marijuana was legal in the state that she smoked it, you know, then, you know, there are movements to prohibit her from, from running. And it's not a, it's not a, a performance enhancing drug as far as I know. Um, and so, uh, anyway, that's an interesting one to watch too. So, you know, it's, uh, marijuana keeps making its way into the news as well. I guess anything that can change your physical chemistry or behavior, one could consider it's a performance changing. I don't know if it's enhancing, maybe it's just changing. That's, I think you're right. Of course, you know, some could argue that caffeine does that as well. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Let's move on and discuss Senate Bill 2569. I guess this is one that uh, should have been a no-brainer to be illegal, but it's talking about tampering with urine samples. Yeah, I've always been a little bit astounded that, you know, you hear stories that people can buy, can buy products or, you know, online that will um, make their urine test clear, uh, you know, even even though maybe they did, uh, they, you know, have some kind of substance that would have shown up in the urine. Uh, you know, there's always there's always somebody out there, you know, figuring that there's a way to uh, make some money. I remember, you know, uh, the the radar detectors obviously are one way. You know, the police have radar, so we're going to create a radar detector uh, and make a lot of money selling those. And, and the only purpose of a radar detector is to avoid uh, being pulled over for speeding, right? I mean, that's the only purpose. And the same, the only only purpose for these kind of products is to, to prevent someone uh, from having a, a negative or bad test with their urine. And so um, this bill makes it a misdemeanor to tamper with urine samples. So, you know, I've also heard of stories of people, you know, substituting somebody else that's paying somebody else to, to do their urine test for them. I'm not sure exactly how that would work, but um, so, yeah, I, the thing, the question I have Liz, is, you know, how do people ever catch this? Um, and uh, well, so I guess if a man uh, gets uh, his urine comes back where it's a positive pregnancy, that might be one way you figure it out. That that's that's true. So there are, <laughs> I'm sure there are some some indicators, and that would have to be. Um, that's one of those. Uh, you know, they have some of the uh, the world's dumbest criminals on YouTube, and that would that would certainly be one. Uh, someone who did that. Um, but yeah, so um, that is you know just to, for for those kind of tests to be uh, not tampered with. But a third conviction of that could result in a felony. All right. So if you've done this twice and been caught twice, highly recommend that you don't do it a third time because then, you know, that's a felony. Well, going back to the world of sports, at my house we have the Tour de France on before going into work or, you know, it's been over the weekend, so we've just, we've had it on to start our day. And all of these sporting events, I know with uh, cycling, I think they require a urine test every, you know, before and after events to rule out performance-enhancing drugs. And, of course, with the Olympics, we saw that. And maybe having this on the books 
will, I don't know, help or hurt having Olympic trials here in Mississippi, or it'll ha- have people take notice for sporting events. I think that's true. And, I, you know, and it's and sometimes it's important, you know, you have the law out there and it makes people think twice. Uh, and so uh, that that may be it. So, you know, those are the ones that really I think, you know, the the, the bigger criminal justice or criminal uh, laws that related to the, the criminal system were really the Dignity for Incarcerated Women Act and, and uh, reduction of uh, parole time potentially for or eligibility for parole. Um, but this is a third one that, that made its way into as well that, that, that dealt with a kind of a criminal law issue. We'd love for you to email us to discuss our new laws that have gotten down on the books as of July 1st. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law about some of the new laws that have taken effect in Mississippi. So far, we've talked about a task force to study domestic laws. We've talked about the transgender sports bill, parole bill, incarcerated women dignity bill, and the urine testing bill. We've got a bunch more to get to, though. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life's disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. You already know MPB Think Radio is a direct result of donations from listeners like you. But instead of counting the size of your donation in dollars, how about axles? Trucks to motorcycles, cars, even 18-wheelers. Your donated vehicle of any size helps fund the programs here on Think Radio. For more information on how to donate your vehicle, visit mpbonline.org support. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms. Remember, folks, podcasts are just audio recordings. They could be of anything. We at MPB podcast our local shows. So if you're not able to listen to a local show, we do encourage you to find the podcast. You do need a podcasting platform. I happen to use Podcast Addict. I download it to my phone. I can touch a plus that takes me to a page to search for podcasts. Then I just type in in legal terms in the search area. It brings up our little Corinthian column logo. And I'm able to touch that photo of In Legal Terms, and I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up. Another way you could listen is on YouTube. And if you go to the 
MPB Think Radio YouTube channel and subscribe to that. Then you're notified when in there. Any of our MPB Think Radio uh, podcasts are brought up. This morning, we're talking about the new laws that have taken effect in Mississippi on July 1st. We don't want folks to get caught not knowing what the laws are. So here's, here's your warning, folks. We did have a call earlier. Nathan was wondering where he could get some legal help when we had the Mississippi Volunteer Legal, legal Lawyer, Mississippi Volunteer Lawyers Project on our show on March 30th, I did post some links on that podcast information. Their website is mvlp.org. That's for the Mississippi Volunteer Lawyers Project mvlp.org they often have clinics and you can see if you qualify for any of their assistance low income individuals might want to go to Mississippi Legal Services their website is mslegalservices.org one more time mslegal S-E-R-V-I-C-E dot org. Also, a place to go to get some help is Mississippi Free Legal Answers. You can go to that website, ms dot free legal answers dot org. See if you qualify. You can ask a question. Then you check your email to log back in. We are talking about our new laws that took effect July 1st in Mississippi. And uh, next one, you know, you, you just got to have an ID for almost everything. And Professor Gershon, tell us about House Bill 277. Well, we are fortunate um, in Mississippi to have, um, you know, strong um, uh, Native American tribes and uh, the tribal identification cards um, can be used now as identification cards for uh, voting and uh, uh, things like uh, the proof of purchasing age for purchasing liquor or cigarettes or lottery tickets. Um, and so, uh, you know, that is a step in the right direction. It used to be you had to have uh, an ID that was specifically a state, in a, a, you know, a issued ID. Now, an ID issued by the tribe itself um, can uh, satisfy that uh, obligation as well. Oh, don't forget, you can also use it for hunting and fishing licenses. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and, and a tribal identification card, again, can be used to vote, too. And so that's, that's an addition, I think, um, and a good step uh, to, to, add, to expand what types of ID can be used uh, for all of those activities. And, Professor Gershon, that, that's a, a great—I'm going to segue, kind of take us off track just a little bit. So often we encourage people to vote right before elections, and maybe they are running out of time, they don't have transportation, maybe they have something planned. 
there's nothing going on right at this moment that I know of. So this would be a fantastic time to check on your voter ID, your voter registration status. Do you have the right address? Do you have the right name? Make sure you are still on those voter rolls so that if there is a trouble, any trouble, you'll have time before the next primary round to get, a, get all of your things straightened out. And, and go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, and, and, you know, we did a show on Real ID, and, of course, that didn't happen as soon as we thought it was going to because COVID uh, kind of pushed that back. But now, you know, they are going to expect real ID. And that's so uh, you want to make sure you got that star or whatever indication is on your on your uh, your identification or that you have identification that satisfies the real ID requirements. And so that show is now relevant again. Exactly. We did that in October of 2019. I'm fast scrolling down to check to see what date that was. But yes, you know, everyone was cooped up. And they, uh, uh, the tra- we just on Money Talks discussed the folks traveling over the 4th of July were as much as they ever were before the pandemic. And if you want to travel after October of 2021, you're going to need a real ID with that has a gold star on it. Uh, that will be needed for airline travel. And I am pulling that up. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a little while. <laughs> Speaking about IDs, let's move on to Senate Bill 2253. Tell us about what that has to do with my ID. That allows a concealed carry permit to be combined with a driver's license or any other state-sponsored identification card. I think think part of the idea behind this is, you know, typically when you are pulled over, you're asked for your license. And if, if I have a concealed carry permit... Uh, you know, I, I, then I, I could be carrying a weapon. And so to let the police officer know on that car, one card, you know, both of those things. So it's okay that I'm carrying that weapon in a concealed way. Um, so I think that was just a, you know, a, a push to try to um, make it easier on uh, law enforcement in that respect to know who uh, is going to be carrying. Because it's not like you know, when someone is, is pulled over, the first thing they're going to be asked for is their license and registration. They're not asked for all the other identification that they might have, including a concealed carry permit. So uh, this would allow that uh, to be combined with that driver's license. And backing up just a minute to let folks know, the Real ID show for in legal terms would, was originally broadcast on December 22nd, of 2019 and that reminds you that it establishes minimum security standards for travel and it uh, prohibits federal agencies from accepting for certain purposes driver's license and identification cards from states not meeting the act's minimum standards. The purpose covered by the act are accessing federal facilities. So if you were going to go into a federal courthouse or some other kind of uh, federal facility, entering nuclear power plants, all those folks in Natchez for Grand Gulf, and boarding federally regulated commercial aircraft. 
So we want to make sure you get that gold star at the top of your driver's license. And if you need some more information about that and you'd like to listen to me and Professor Gershon discuss it, you can go to our October 22nd of 2019 show in legal terms, Real ID. Let's take our next break so that we can uh, we'll finish out the show talking about a list of more laws that took effect on Thursday. We always take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Professor Gershon, you and I are both dog owners, dog lovers, and I'm so excited that this next Senate Bill 2313 will help the Husky Blue and his owner make some money from PetSmart. Uh, this is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you have missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hey, I need to make a correction. This is one of the problems with speaking off the cuff, is that there's been a change in the date for when U.S. travelers must be real ID compliant to board domestic flights. It's my birthday. Uh, well, not my birth date, but it's May 3rd, 2023. So not even next year, but the year after that. So, uh, we appreciate getting uh, updated by that by some eagle-eyed callers like uh, Emily from Jackson. Emily, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, and you may have already covered this. Um, I just didn't hear it. But how does this real ID affect those of us who um, who renewed our driver's license for eight years before this law even was thought of? Um, so, I can answer like, that. Thank you. You, you. you gotta shell out another eleven dollars. So, so 
what do they do? Just put a star on our driver's license? So I don't have to I don't have to pay another forty dollars. Uh, I think it's it's the cost for a replacement. It's not an extension. When I, that was the case when I went, my personal experience, I my driver's license was not expired, so I did not have to pay the renewal amount, but I had to pay for a replacement, and I think mine was eleven dollars. Perfect. Thank you so much. That helps a lot. And, Liz, you know, and Emily, thank you for calling. But you can also, it's called a duplicate. And I, when I moved, I had to change my address. And my old license didn't have the star on it. My new one did. And, uh, and, and so just to get a license in Mississippi, really, you're compliant because you have to show all the documents that are required for real ID anyway. So Mississippi does make it easy. But you can also uh, travel with your passport if you don't have a, a real ID license plate, license uh, tag. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. And we appreciate these uh, callers who catch us in mistakes. Let's now go to Hernando and talk with Susan. Thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Susan, go ahead. Ask about uh, a medical form. There's something called a physician's order for life-sustaining treatment, uh, uh, PO, uh, LST, I think it's called. Anyway, uh, Tennessee is very active in, in having these forms. And if I get a doctor in Tennessee to sign one of these forms, it's a form that you can give to the emergency medical technicians. Would it be honored in the state of Mississippi? Mississippi doesn't seem to have a program where you can get your doctor to issue a physician's order for life-sustaining treatment. Um. That's a great question. We, we don't in Mississippi, but we do. What you can do in Mississippi is you can do something called an advanced health care directive, which at least will let the uh, emergency room know what your wishes are. And you can give that to your doctor. And um, and so, you know, for example, uh, I could say that I do want life sustaining treatment if I'm in a situation where I can't speak for myself. I could also designate a someone to speak for me. We call that a uh, health care power of attorney. Uh, to uh, have someone else make those decisions for me, and that's someone who I've obviously told I want what I want to have happen. Uh, the Mississippi form gives you the, the chance to say I don't want uh, to be kept alive if I'm in the process of dying, and, and uh, you know, and, and there's no way to to bring me back. Or I could say I want every possible treatment available. So it's not exactly that. Um, it's not as far as the Tennessee law, but it does a lot. So in, in uh, uh, you know, I certainly think everybody in Mississippi should have an advanced health care director. Well, here's my question. I was informed by a nurse that the emergency medical technicians are required to give life-sustaining treatment. Uh, and if you have one of these um, one of these uh, uh, physician's orders, it's uh, printed on a, you know, bright fluorescent red or fluorescent orange piece of paper, and you keep it posted by your front door so that you give it to the emergency medical technicians if an ambulance comes to get you, and it it basically orders them to follow your medical wishes while they're transporting you to the hospital. I have a medical directive for when I'm in the hospital, but what I don't have is something to direct the emergency medical technicians in the ambulance what kind of life-sustaining treatment I do or do not want. That's a real good question. Yeah, I've actually had students who were uh, EMTs and first responders in my classes, and when we talk about those issues, including do not resuscitate orders and things like that, they, they say, you know what, 
we got somebody in the in the ambulance we're going to we're going to try to do what we have to do i mean because we're not going to be bothered with that paperwork this is a this is a step in that direction to say to the first responders okay no here's another additional uh, indicia that i don't want you to to intervene um you know, I think, though, really, if, if a first responder does intervene, they're, they're probably not going to be uh, held legally responsible because that's kind of what they do. You know, they're on the scene and um, it is up, they're going to try to get you to the hospital. Uh, but at least that's really what that, that Tennessee order is about, is trying to say, you know, one more step. No, I really don't want this. Um, but thank you for, for calling. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. I mentioned earlier in the show about the Husky Blue. His owner is Trey No, who is an Arkansas Razorback, and he was one of the first athletes at midnight who was able to sign with an agent so he could get those sweet, sweet PetSmart endorsement deals on his Instagram account with his dog Blue and our Jackson State Antoine Owens at midnight uh, was able to sign the Three King with Three Kings Grooming. Professor Gershon, tell us a little bit about uh, Senate Bill 2313 that works in conjunction with a new uh, Supreme Court decision. This is great, Liz, because this segment we get to talk about sports and alcohol, <laughs> and we'll start with sports because, um, you know, this is uh, really, I think, the Mississippi legislature in anticipation of the NCAA is rewriting their rules regarding uh, compensation and you know, following on the tails of a recent Supreme Court decision, U.S. Supreme Court decision that came out June 21st, NCAA versus Austin, we're seeing a real erosion in this concept of amateur athletes and what that means and the NCAA's ability to restrict athletes from making money uh, while they are participating in athletics for uh, a university. And so uh, the, the, the act itself talks about uh, college athletes can contract with an agent for their names, images, or likenesses to be used. Um, you know, the university uses them. Uh, universities all over the country use the athletes' uh, images and, and make a lot of money doing that. Uh, and so this allows the athletes themselves to make compensation uh, to endorse a product. Uh, and to be paid. Uh, every other student could do that. There's really not a restriction on other students doing similar things. Um, college athletes have, uh, uh, you know, been paid based on their athletic achievements. And, the, and, and this US, the U.S. Supreme Court now says they can also receive non-cash educational benefits, like free computers, things like that, uh, that, um, that the NCAA used to prohibit. So a lot of the NCAA restrictions are starting to erode um, and we're seeing greater and greater latitude for the athletes. And most of us think that's a good thing. I, you know, if I can make an analogy to law schools, the American Bar Association for years said that law students were prohibited from working in their first year and that the law schools had to make sure that they didn't work. And then also that uh, the, the ABA said a full-time student uh, beyond the first year should not work more than 20 hours a week. And, and the problem I always had with that is they didn't limit the amount of time that a student spent watching TV or playing video games. It was simply working, something that the student could make money for. And as law schools became more expensive, it was really important for students to be able to work because it was either that or borrow money. And so the ABA has moved away from that. I think the NCAA is starting to realize this. For, for many of these athletes, 
this will be their last opportunity to capitalize on some of this fame and to allow them to, uh, to make a little money and, and some non-cash benefits as well. We need to have Ron Rieschlock back on to talk about the NCAA uh, versus Austin case at some point. Well, and if you could make a little money from your gorgeous, white, blue-eyed husky dog or from your hair care, then uh, good luck to those, those kids. Now let's move on. Uh, we talked about sports and liquor. The uh, Native Spirits, well, there's two different liquor laws, the Native Spirits Law and also about uh, getting delivery. Let's, let's first go with Senate Bill 2606 that allows you to uh, buy liquor where it's produced. Right, and we have some uh, breweries and and also some uh, distilleries in Mississippi now, and this will allow direct sales by those distilleries or, or breweries as long as the product they're making also has sugar or molasses that comes from Mississippi primarily, or at least 51%. So it's really a, a way to say, hey, if, if something's produced in Mississippi, it, you don't have to go through a, a necessarily an outlet, a state outlet, a state liquor store to sell this product. You can buy it directly from the source. The second law allows delivery uh, and within a 30-mile radius of alcohol. you got to have permits. Uh, there are probably going to be costs. It'll probably be one like food delivery where you're going to have to pay a service, obviously, to do that. And you, we don't see a lot of liquor stores jumping on this bandwagon yet. But if you go to liquor store Facebook pages, they're starting to say, we will do this at some point. So uh, you will be able to have uh, liquor delivered and possibly even beer delivered with your dinner. Uh, when you do use one of those um, companies. Well, maybe that uh, would be the, if we go into another lockdown for another pandemic. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't even get to some of these other laws that we'll have to put that on the show information for this page. Remember, you can find it in legalterms.mpbonline.org. You can find it on a podcast or on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Thanks, Professor Gershon. It's been great speaking with you today. It's been fun, Liz. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle McAdoo and Java Chapman. They keep us straight and narrow and getting us on the air for everyone to enjoy. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. We hope you join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.